Thanks for listening to jpulse.org. You can find this and other great talks on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching jpulse. This talk by Rabbi Eli Mansour on parenting is co-sponsored by Beth Abraham Synagogue, Young Israel of Brookline, and friends of Rabbi Eli Mansour. About 2,000 years ago, the Goyim made a decree. They said that they are not going to allow the Jewish people on Shabbat to take the Sefer Torah out of the Hechal and read it. And any congregation that gets caught with a Sefer Torah and its recitation, there's a death penalty. So of course the rabbis had to make a decision and they decided that Bikuach Nefesh, life is more important, and they did away with the Sefer Torah reading on Shabbat. You could imagine that. That means they would pray Shaharit, and they went straight into Musaf. But the rabbis were concerned that the Penashat Shavuah was going to be forgotten. How are they going to remember the themes of the Penashat? So they instituted what today we call the Haftarah. The Haftarah basically is a chapter from the prophets that the rabbis chose a certain Haftarah that they felt has similar themes as the Perashah did. And by reading the Haftarah, they hoped that the congregation would have memories of the Perashat HaShavuah. Now Baruch Hashem, the decree uh, was abolished. That's why we take Sefer Torah out on Shabbat and there's no uh, decree against it. But the rabbis liked the idea of the Haftarah so much that they kept it. It's our job every week to try to figure out why did they choose this Haftarah? What's the connection? What's the theme? What's the link? Why did they choose this uh, pedic? Now sometimes it's obvious. And sometimes it takes a little more uh, effort to find the, uh, the connection. For example, my bar mitzvah, parashah was parashat Noah. The haftarah in Noah is haftarah called Roni Akara. Towards the end of that haftarah, the prophet Yeshaya says, Ki me Noah zotli. He says it, me Noah, the flood of Noah. So that's it. It's a no-brainer. The rabbi said, how are we going to remind the people of Noah's flood? So we found the Haftarah that has the words, man, Noah. So everybody was, oh, Noah, we remember that story. So it served its purpose. Only problem is not every Haftarah has the name of some of the main characters of that parashah. So then it becomes a little more subtle, the connection, and therefore it's incumbent upon the student to try to draw the correlation. I attempted to do that this week, uh, to connect the Haftarah to the Perashah. Before I read you the Haftarah, I need to give you an introduction. Our Haftarah begins, it's a story of a, of a time in Jewish history where the king was Ahab, bad king, he hated the rabbis, he hated the prophets. His wife was Izebel. The root of Izebel is Zebel. <laughs> Whoever named her, at least, at least the name was appropriate. Her name was befitting. She lived, she lived down to her name. Uh, 
she not only hated the prophets and the rabbis, she made a witch hunt against them. She actually killed many prophets. To the extent there was a hundred prophets that were on the run from Ezebel. One of the great prophets, his name was Obadiah, at great risk to his own life, he hid 100 prophets in two different caves, 50 prophets in one, 50 in the other. And although he wasn't a rich man by any standards, he supported them for a period of time. That means he fed them and he maintained them. And when he ran out of money, the prophet Obadiah started to pawn all his material belongings. Everything that he had in his house was sold, he took the money, and he bought provisions for the hundred prophets. After he ran out of uh, assets in his house, he went to a fellow by the name of Yehoram. Ironically, he was the son of Ahab. He was a wealthy man. And Obadiah asked Yehoram for a loan so he could support the rabbis. Yehoram acquiesced. However, it wasn't a free loan, it wasn't a gamah. He gave him the loan with a very high interest rate. So Yehoram was a loan shark. Well, my dad had no choice. It's either he accepts the loan with the interest or the prophets died. So he accepted it. And he went and supported the, uh, the rabbis. Again, at great risk. If Izebel finds out, Obadiah dies, as well as the hundred prophets. So it was a big zikhut. Anyway, Obadiah dies. Natural death. He leaves his wife a widow, with two children, two boys. And right when he dies, the creditor, Yehoram, sends his goons for the money. They want the money, they want the interest. She's a destitute woman. I told you already that Obadiah sold everything he had in order to sustain the property. So she doesn't have not the interest, nor does she have the principal. But the creditors want their money, and then they threaten the widow that if they don't get their money, they're going to take her two children as collateral. And this is where the Navi opens up. And I begin the text. The Isha Ahat. Isha Ahat. You could wonder why it has to say there was one woman. Well, I could figure out that she was only one. Usually a woman is one. She wasn't Siamese twins. She was just one person. The Isha Ahat. She was a wife of a prophet. But she says she was a wife of Obadiah. She went to the Elisha, who was the great prophet at the time, and she doesn't go to her cordially, him cordially. She goes to the prophet screaming. She's in distress. What did she say? My husband died. You knew my husband was God fearing. I explained this part of the Pasukas following. You knew my husband was Yare et Hashem. The Torah says in the Pasuk, et Hashem Tira. You must fear God. 
and the rabbis learned the word it in that pasuk is coming to include Tabidi Hakamim. Not only are you supposed to fear God, but you're supposed to fear Hakamim. So she was telling the prophet, you know my husband, he was Yare et Hashem. He not only feared God, but he feared Tabidi Hakamim. He loved the rabbis. He supported them, he hid them, he maintained them. He was Yare et Hashem. And the creditor is, is coming. The collect. And the creditor wants to take my two sons. As slaves. This is the opening verse. Elisha tells the destroyed woman, What do you want me to do for you? What do you have in the house? Tell me what do you have? What's your financials? You have nothing in the house. I just have a small flask of oil. Now, so far, when I'm reading this, I see no connection to anything that I read in Parashat Vayera. Vayera talks about Akedat Yitzhak, it talks about Abraham's Milah, it talks about the destruction of Sedom. There's no loan sharks in the Parashat. There's no mention of oil. There's no story of two children being abducted. There was a great rabbi called Rabbi Eliyahu HaKohen from Izmir, Izmir, Turkey. He wrote many sefarim. Maybe you heard of the sefer, Mi'il Tzedakah. He wrote many sefarim as well, Midrash HaTamri. He was a gaon. Recently they printed an old book that was out of print from Rabbi Eliyahu HaKohen from Izmir. It's called Huch El I got a hand, my hands on it. I was very happy because these are old Sephardi rabbis that had great uh, insights on Torah. So he says as follows: He says, "I know the connection between the Haftarah and the Parasha. What's the connection?" Now, ladies, please don't get offended. What I'm going to say. That means there's a chance you might get offended. So I'm asking you not to get offended. <laughs> the Gemara says in Baba Metziah, that a lady has a tendency to be stingy when it comes to guests. So what are you talking about? Not my wife and not my grandmother. And not my mother. We have guests, they have red carpet. Now, Baruch Hashem, so we marry the exceptions. But the Gemara says, Ishat Sadatayim. So the Gemara says, Do you have a proof for this? So the Gemara says, <laughs> The honest proof, Sadaimenu. Abraham tells Sarah when the guests came to the house, Nushi Ba'asiyugot, hurry up, Let's go make some cakes for the guests. So Abraham says, Kemah Solet. Go get the flour. So the rabbi says, hold it. What type of flour? There's two types of flour. There's kema, which is the cheap stuff. And solid is the expensive stuff. So the Gemara says, make up your mind. Abraham said, kema solid. So no. 
He told his wife, Sonnet, bring the guests the good stuff. And she said, I'll give them kema. I'll bring them the inferior stuff. What do these Arabs know anyway? They didn't dirt their whole lives. Let them eat kema. Why should I waste the solid on these three uh, these three guests? They never tasted solid in their life. Huh? Fine, for what they're coming from, came out as fine also. So, Gemara, as you see, he shuts out a diamond. I explained the Gemara once. Why doesn't the lady want to give the solid to the guest? What is she saving it for? She's saving it for her husband. She wants to give her husband the best. She doesn't gain anything by giving it to the, to the, to the guest. But if she gives it to her husband, she has a demon. The husband will appreciate her. She has now, Shalom Bayit. So therefore she says, why waste it on a guest? I'll never see him again. I give it to my husband. Whatever the reason is, whatever the psychology is, why you shot Sarah dying behind me. And the proof is Sarah. So the Biliawa Kuin Izmir says, and I'll quote his words inside so you see it, beautiful words. He says, this lady, the wife of Obadiah, in a certain sense, is better than Sarah Imeni. Why? Her husband sold everything that they owned in order to support the prophets. That means people were coming into our house every day. Is this the house of Omadiyah? Yes. Is that the dining room table? Yes. Okay, guys, take it out. Where are you taking my table? Where are you going to the table? And where's the chairs? Those are the six chairs here. Get that, where's your bed? Yeah, get that also. Where's the armor? Where's the bookshelf? What are you doing with all this stuff? Your husband said to sell it all. He took the money and he supported the rabbis in the cave. And what was her reaction? She accepted. Where Sarah is negotiating between Kemah and Solet, and this woman over here, when the prophet said, what do you have left in the house? She says, all I have is a little jug of oil left. That was the only, if somebody would come to you and say, what do you have in the house? You said, okay, I have to make a list. If you have to make a list for the insurance company, Take you three, four days to itemize everything you have. It'll take you three, four days to itemize everything you have in your closet. Forget about what you have in your house. And this lady, she's able to answer the question in one second. My whole net worth of everything I have in the house, I'm down to one flask of oil left. What about your kitchen tables? No more kitchen table. What about your shades? There's no shades. What about the shampoo? There's nothing. Yes, what, what I own? My net worth is this. So the video Ismir says, and I quote, It seems, This lady's stature, the wife of Rehiyah, She's like one of the matriarchs. And that's why he says, the person says, The Isha Ahat. Not that she's one lady. She's an exceptional woman. She's like one of the Imahot. Why? She was the wife of Omadiyah. She supported the Nevi'im. He didn't leave anything left in his house. Even though it's the nature of a woman to be stingy when it comes to giving to strangers, like we see by Sarah Imenu, Kemah Solet. So he says, Vaishah Zot, this woman, 
הייתה יודעת עניין עובדיה אישה, she knew exactly what her husband was doing, ולא הייתה מדברת כלום, she didn't say a word. She said yes, I'm willing to live destitute, I'm willing to give up everything, support האחרים. So the Rebidah Prenemi Zmir says, that's the connection. It's almost comparing her to Sarah, where Sarah wouldn't even give the guests solid. This woman over here gave everything. It's a connection, I don't say no. But you think that's the reason why they chose this Haftarah? Is that the theme of Parashat Bayira? That Sarah wasn't willing to give Solid? Is that the main theme of the Parajat? The rabbi said, that's the main thing we want uh, the people to remember. So they said, oh, we're going to show you how Eshet Ovadiah was very generous to give everything she had. Reshut Kahal Kadosh. With all the respect to the great rabbi, I'd like to offer tonight a novel interpretation to what I believe the connection between Haftarah and the Parashat. And I don't think it's a subtle uh, connection. As a matter of fact, I think the rabbis were spot on when they picked this haftarah. They zoned in on the most important theme of the parashah. And they highlighted it. Because they wanted the congregate to walk away remembering this idea. So what is it? Well, let's finish the story. Anyway, they say, what do you have in the house? He says, just a little oil. Vayomer. He says, Go borrow pots from outside. I mean, she didn't even have pots. How did she cook? I don't know. Forks, spoons, cup, nothing. Go borrow vessels from outside. From your neighbors. Empty vessels. Don't minimize. Get as much as you can. After you collect everything, Bring all the empty vessels into your house and close the door so you don't have ayin around. She closes the door and the prophet says, start pouring. Little jug, start pouring. And as long as they place empty vessels underneath the oil, the stream of the oil continued to pour. It was a miracle. It filled up. The children moved it. They put another one underneath. Filled it, filled it up. They moved it away. And she's filling up. Pots and pots and vessels of this oil. And finally, the Pasuk writes, Fatomir el Benashi tells her son, Hagisha Eli Otkel, give me another vessel, give me another vessel, hurry up, hurry up. He says, Ma, en Otkel, no more. And the Pasuk says, The oil stopped. But now it's just all house full of oil. So she goes to the Prophet now, and she says to the Prophet, she went to the prophet to ask what to do. So the prophet says, well, I'll be sell the oil and pay your debt. The Gemara questions, she had to ask the prophet. It's obvious what she has to do. What are you going to do with all this oil? The miracle is to sell it and pay the debt. So the Gemara says, because at that point, there was a spike in the oil prices. Oil went up. So she went to the prophet to say, should she sell or does he think the oil is going to go even higher? <laughs> so we can make more. Uh, 
So you see, even in the olden days, people used to go to the Rebbe for blessings on business and things like that. The rabbi said, no, I think you can sell now. So she sold it. So the Pasuk says, he says, and sell the oil. Pay your creditors. And you and your sons, you will live with the surplus. It seems there's going to be a surplus. After you pay everybody back with the interest, there's going to be a leftover. So he says that you and your children will live off the rest. The Bibliawa Kohen says there was a, uh, a message that the prophet was, was giving her when he said, You will live. What do you mean you will live with the rest? She was concerned because the halakha says, as you know, as Jews, we're not allowed to charge interest, nor are we allowed to pay interest. It's a sin on both sides. You can't charge interest, nor can you pay interest. And the Gemara says that if anybody charges interest or pays interest, anybody that's involved in that transaction is not resurrected at the time of the resurrection of Tehiyat It's a serious punishment. So she was concerned her husband was involved in a transaction of, of interest. So she asked the prophet, what's going to be with our resurrection? So the prophet pacified her and said, first of all, your husband did it for Surah Mitzvah. And Halakha says, if it's for the purpose of a Mitzvah, it's okay. And second of all, if he wouldn't have taken those terms, the prophets would have died. So therefore, he has no problem to take it. So therefore, not only was he allowed to do it, but you have no concern about resurrection. You're going to be resurrected. And therefore, he says, take the money and you will live at the time of the Hayat And you will not be punished by the Isun of the beat. That's the interpretation. Now the challenge is to find some connection between anything we just read here and Parashat Vayera. I'll go back to the Parashat for a minute. Parashat Vayera, we read an incredible, incredible piece here. I'll tell you why it's incredible. Sarah is not happy with Yishmael's behavior. So she tells her husband, Abraham, Ganesh, you have to... Uh, you have to oust him. You got to throw out Ishmael and his mother. Eviction. Abraham doesn't uh, understand that. What do you mean throw away? My son. Until God has to come down and tell Abraham, hey, listen, your wife, your wife is right. You got to throw him out. And once God says that Sarah is right, he has no choice. And the next morning, early in the morning, he takes him and he wakes him up early in the morning. And it says he wasn't even feeling good that doesn't care, God says to throw him out, he puts him on Hagar's shoulders like a sack of potatoes. Sam al He gives him some bread and water like a criminal. And he says, get lost, he throws him out. The Pasuk does say, but Abraham had a reaction to this story. Al Odot Abraham was distressed by this. 
Rashi said, what was he distressed about? I'm reading Rashi. Rashi says, why was he distressed? She had salat He was upset that his son went off to Derek. Any parent would be distressed by that. That they have a son, and you're trying to raise them the right way, and then all of a sudden they go off the path. So it bothered Abraham, and what's he going to do? And the Pasuk says, Vayera Hadava Meod. Davar is the item. There was a certain item that distressed Abraham a lot. And I'm trying to understand. You didn't need that word Hadava in the Pasuk. You could just say, Vayera Meod, Bene Abraham. It distressed him. Vayera Hadavad, the island. There was a certain island here that was distressing Abraham terribly. And I'm wanting to know my subscription man, what was the item? Vayera Hadavad. The, 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 the pasuk goes out of its way because there was an item here, a Davad, that stressed Abraham. Oh, what was the item? Abotai. Many of the people that are in attendance tonight, as I look around, are parents. Some Be'ezat Hashem were parents-to-be. Eventually, Be'ezat Hashem, all in attendance, are going to be involved with the most important obligation that we have as humans, and that is the mitzvah of rearing children. Raising children, the mitzvah hinuch yeladim. Why do I say it's the most important? Anytime a Jew walks into a house, right away on the right side he sees a mezuzah. You all know that the right side always indicates priority. Left is secondary. In Judaism, right is the key side. Right is the main side. Whenever we make a blessing, we hold it in our right hand. When we walk into a room, we step right first. When we put on a shirt, it's always the right hand first. When we bathe, it's always the right side first. Halakha always gives a, a credence to the right. And whenever they talk about left, left is second. Left is the, the non-important side. So when the rabbis decided, where should we put this mezuzah? They said, put it on the right side. Because there's something that's written in the mezuzah that is a priority, that must be a uh, the highest level of importance. What's written in the mezuzah? So I open up the mezuzah. What's written in the mezuzah? And I see not only is it written in the mezuzah, but it's written twice. In the first parasha of the mezuzah, it says, "V'shinatam de'banecha." You must teach your children. You must educate your children. V'shinatam de'banecha. I scroll a few pasukim later in the next parasha, and the pasuk says, Teach your children, study with your children, provide education to your children. And I said to myself, and I saw it later brought down in a separate kod of Rehaim, that the Meduzai represents Hinuk. When you walk into the Jewish home, they're telling you, What's the priority in this house? The furniture? The gadgets? The 
trimmings, the entertainment. What's the priority in the Jewish home? The stuff, the things, the clothes, the wardrobe, the things, the materialism. If that was the case, they would put a catalog on the right side of the door. But instead, they put a mezuzah on the right side of the door, so the inhabitant of the house, before he walks in, he puts his hand on the door, and he says, this is the right side, this is the key of the Jewish home, education. Everything else, is on the left side, secondary, not important. Not that it's meaningless, it's less important. It's on the left side, it has its place, but it's secondary, tertiary, it's, it's not the priority. is the priority. Now enter the Jewish home. Therefore, the Jewish home must be built in a way that it just breeds education. Positive education. That there's nothing in the Jewish home that God forbid can can affect negatively or to impact in a bad way the Jewish child. Those that are living in the house. The Jewish home is basically a school. That's the middle on the right side. But if you notice in the Kiryat Shema, what does it say after the Shinantam the What's the next pasuk? Interesting. And then if you go to the next parashah, and the next pasuk is, again. And I wonder, coincidence, whenever the Torah mentions Chinuch, it mentions Tefili. has to be a connection. You know what the connection is? If you are new, don't you? There's a law that applies by Tiffany. The men know it. The ladies, you might have seen this once in the synagogue. When the men are wearing Tiffany, they're always kissing the Tiffany. Always kissing the What are they kissing the Tiffany? Because the halakha says there's a law that it's asur. Uh, it's asur to have what's called heseya hadat. What is not allowed to have a mental lapse when he's wearing a Tiffany? His mind has to constantly be. Aware that he's wearing tefillin. He cannot take his mind off the tefillin. There must not be an interruption. Therefore, he's constantly feeling the tefillin. Oh, I'm wearing tefillin. And some of the new sidurim, the ones we use in our synagogue, on every page of the sidur it says tefillin, 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 at the top. To remind you. Tefillin, it's forbidden to have a say hadad. And the rabbis of the Torah was coming to juxtapose these two parashiyot to say, just like Tifilin, there cannot be a Sehadat, in Hinuch Yeladim, there cannot be a Sehadat. One must not allow himself to have a break in his concentration when it comes to raising his children and educating them. One cannot say, we're off today. You're off today. Every single day must be a day of education. There's no such thing as a lapse or an interruption. Even when we take our children on trips, we're teaching our children. We're teaching them. As a matter of fact, that's the best time when we teach our children. They learn a lot. Always when I take my children out of school, because we go away, different places. 
So they said, but he's going to miss school. He's going to miss a day of school. So my first answer always is, so he'll be a gadol ador one day later. <laughs> so they, okay, they laugh a little. And then I say, listen, I have a rule. Don't let school interfere with your children's education. So what do you think? When you go somewhere with me, I'm going to teach him. He's going to learn. My, me and my wife are going to teach him. We're going to teach him how to sit in a restaurant. We're going to teach him how to conduct themselves in a museum. We're going to teach him how to conduct themselves in a pub. Everything is learning. They're not going to be in a classroom their whole life. So they never lapse. Every time the children, whether he's in a classroom, whether he's in the dining room, whether he's on a vacation, we're always teaching our children how to behave, how to act, how to negotiate, how to be a, a, a person. There's never a say hadad. We never say we're not parents anymore today. We're off. When you're off. It's a Not only that, but there's an incredible Zohar Kadosh that I found. The Zohar Kadosh, I made a copy. The Zohar Kadosh writes that if you look in the first paragraph of Kiryat Shema, there's ten instructions in the row. Back to back to back to back. Ten instructions in a row. And the Zohar says these ten instructions correspond to ten commandments. I'll read you the Zohar. Parashat Vethana. Parashat Vekiriyat Shema Remiza Be'esed Amiran. Parashat Vekiriyat Shema alludes to us to the ten commandments. Ubginkach, because of this, Esed Pekudin Ithacha, there's ten instructions in the Kiryat Shema. Lekabel Esed Pekudin Deoraita, corresponding the Ten Commandments of the Torah. Uman Inun, what are they? So I'll count them. Vishinantam Lebanecha, one. Vedibarta Bam, two. Vishinantam Lebanecha, three. Oblek Mecha Badet, four. Upshok Mecha, five. Upkumecha, six. So the rabbis say, oh, that means the first of the ten is what? Meshim Nantam Nebarecha, teach your children. And that corresponds which one of the ten commandments? That's the commandment that God said himself which we would all agree is the most important of all the commandments. That's the one that God didn't give to Moshe to say over. He did it with Bodovat's more. And God is saying, Anuchia Shimonoecha corresponds to Shinantam de Banecha, because that's the job you must do yourself. That's the job that you must delegate to a teacher or to a Shalia or to a babysitter to a caretaker. Anuchia Shimonoecha was done by God himself. Shinantam de Banecha is the job of the parent. That's the, the magnitude of this mitzvah. And all of you are aware of what Shilomah Melech, King Solomon, said regarding raising children. He said in one of the Pesukim in Mishnah, Osech Shivto Sonebeno. One that spares discipline to the child. Hates the child. 
You know how I understood that always? If you love your child, you teach him right from wrong. If you don't love your child, you let him do whatever he wants. If I love my child and I see him doing something uh, harmful, I stop him. But if you don't love the child, let him hurt himself. So Tzishnagomedek very simply was saying, I found the Midrash, however. The Midrash has a very novel interpretation to this pursuit. I'm going to read to the Midrash. I also made a copy of that as well. Listen to the Hadush. Lelamedcha to teach. Anyone that deprives his child from discipline, you know what's going to happen? The child is going to go off the path because she's never disciplined. And then the Midrash says, what's going to end up happening? The parent is going to hate the child. The Midrash gave us a nuance here, and it's recorded. The way the Midrash is learning this person is as follows. You know when you're going to hate the child? After he becomes a derelict, after the kid becomes delinquent, then you're going to say, what is this kid? What is this over here? I hate what he became. So the person can say, discipline your children because if you don't, one day you're going to come to hate what they became. That's what it means. Because you didn't discipline them, so they went off the path. You're going to hate the result. So if you don't want to hate your kid one day, one day, discipline them now. Later on. So the Midrash says, you have a proof to this, Pshat? So the Midrash brings the most incredible proof. We would never think that this is a proof. Who's the proof from? Sheken Matzinu Yishmael. Oh, Yishmael. Listen to the Shehayulo Gaguim al Avraham Aviv Veloridahu. Abraham loved Yishmael. The Midrash says he had Gaguin. Gaguin is he had a certain affection, a certain love. And the Midrash says that love that Abraham had for Yishmael was blinding. And he didn't discipline him. You know why he didn't discipline him? Because he didn't see it. He didn't see it. He didn't see that Yishmael needs discipline. The love of the father blinded him. The Mithrach says he had Yagoim Velonidahu. Which, which I find to be amazing. That means Abraham was able to see everything. He's a prophet. I have no doubt people came to Abraham asking him questions about their own children. But in his own house, under his own roof. He didn't see what Yishmael was. If you'd ask Abraham, he'd say, Yishmael, what's the matter with Yishmael? He's great. Lord, he didn't discipline him. Not because Abraham was delinquent. He said, he doesn't need to be disciplined. 
But the Midrash says, you know what ended up happening? Ismael went off the path because he didn't get the discipline. And then guess who hated him? Abraham came to hate him. How do I know he hated him? Because he threw him out of the house like a criminal. He woke him up, he put him on his mother's back, get lost. Here's, a, here's a, some, 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 some bread and water, even a criminal out the trash gets more than bread and water. He threw him out with no food. Ah, the Midrash says, see, we were right. Abraham came to Hades. Could you believe it that it is possible to be a parent? To live in the house of a child that's delinquent and the parent doesn't see it. It's amazing. Yeah? To me, it's frightening because if you tell me Abraham missed it, so then it's very possible that people like us that are less than Abraham can miss it as well. So raising children takes a great amount of vigilance and alertness and awareness. You mean, you could miss it. He missed it, the Midrash says. I wouldn't say so. He missed it. The Midrash says, Velodi now. Who caught it? Sarah. Of course, it wasn't her son. She didn't have that gitguin and all that stuff. So Sarah was apparent that the kid's toxic. The Sarah was apparent that he's a contaminant. That he's a, he's a negative influence on your side. And therefore God says, uh, you missed it, Abraham. You're a great prophet, but Sarah's been eyes. And she saw it, you didn't see. Don't discipline the child and one day you're going to hate what he becomes. So the Midrash is telling you, if you don't want to hate your child one day, rebuke him today and straighten him out. So when he becomes what he becomes, you'll love the result. Now listen to Hadusha. Remember I told you that it said in the Pasuk, the item was very bad and I told you what bothered Abraham that she said she had it bothered him that his son went off but I have to be honest with you I wasn't reading that she properly I was ad-libbing with that she said I, I misquoted that she on purpose now let's read what that she says inside he adds one word that I didn't tell you and I think that one word changes the whole interpretation. Al odot beno. He doesn't say she That's not what bothered him. That she says she shama she That he heard. That he went off the path. You know what bothered Abraham? That somebody had to tell him, Shishama. Abraham said, I'm living under the same roof with this guy. And I missed it. That I had to hear from Sarah, she had to tell me something that was in front of my eyes. 
that's the davar. That's the item that Abraham says. I can't believe it. That she was very careful with that word, Shishama. He needed to be told from the outside about his own kid. Imagine the neighbor at the by the way, you know your kid's a criminal? He's a criminal. He's one of the loving Bab Sadiqim. What are you talking about? Bab <laughs> He's delinquent. He's a mischievous. He's a, he's a terrible. They don't see the investigates you. I can't believe it. Note the main theme of Parajat Vajrayat. The main theme is look at Sarai She wouldn't budge an inch when it came to Hinuch of Yitzhak. She's even willing to buck Abraham Avid. She came up against Abraham Avid. It's not a small task. You know, another wife would say, listen, my husband, I'm a BMW, I'm a BMW, he doesn't see that, he knows better, what am I, he's the, he's the Inuk specialist, he's the one that's mekarev the whole world, I'm going to teach him now about Kiruv, I'm going to tell the, the, the master, so that's said, I don't know, master, yeah, master, not a master, the guy's no good, and if you don't believe me, go to God, and you're throwing him out regardless, and God said, yeah, she's right. Abraham had to go to higher authority, Supreme Court. Supreme Court tells Abraham, hey, she's right. Sarah doesn't budge. Hinoch? No, there's no high, low, prophet, nothing. And the rabbi said, you know something? That's something that we want the people to remember. That story is an important story. So he said, you know what? We need to find somewhere in the Haftarah, somewhere. The similar story of a lady that's unwilling to sacrifice the hinuch of her children at all expenses. So listen to the story they tell. It's, it's a parallel story. Listen to the story now the way we're going to learn it. You have a lady over here, She comes to scream at the prophet. Interesting. Sarah is screaming at Abraham. She's screaming at Elisha. Now, if I was this lady, I have a reason to scream at the prophet. I have a lot of reasons to scream at the prophet. Number one, prophet, is it fair that God took my husband? The man was a sadiq. The man risked his life for the rabbis. Where's the justice in this world? Sadiq Miracle! She could have claims against God's uh, running of the world. That's not a claim. She could also have claims. I'm a destitute woman that doesn't have a bed to sleep on. I don't have any food in the pantry. I don't have any clothes. I'm down to a flask of oil. That's my net worth. She has a right to scream at the prophet. What's going to be? Does anybody want to help me? Anybody going to ask how this widow was doing? What are we living in, Sidon? Anybody going to come make a collection for me? That's not her claim. Amazing thing. She doesn't mention her widowhood. She doesn't complain about her misfortune. She doesn't complain about anything. Now I'm going to tell you about Tushan. She doesn't even complain that they're taking away her children. Listen to what I said. I'm saying, I do. 
What do you mean she doesn't complain that they're taking? Of course she complained that they're taking away her children. Listen to the Pasuk prophet. What does she tell Elisha? She says, Ban no Sheba, the credit is coming. He wants his money. Lakahat et shnei yiladai. He wants to take my two kids. But you don't stop there. Because if he wants to take my two kids and he has a religious family, let him take them. If he'll take my two kids and send them to yeshiva, so I have no problem with that. But she adds two more words. Not that they're taking my kids, but lo la'avadi. He's taking my kids to indoctrinate them to be his servants. That's what bothered her. That my children, God forbid, are now going to be raised as secularists. Lola Abadim. If they would have said, and we're taking your kids away, I'm going to send them to Arikan Yeshiva. Okay, you miss your kids, but she says, no problem. At least my debts will be paid. The kids are learning. There's no reason to alarm Elisha. But once already Yehudam said, we're taking your kids and they're going to become like me. I'm their teacher. They're going to become loan sharks. They're going to become the mafia. So she comes along and says, what? Lola Abadim. For this, money doesn't mean anything. Money's on the left side. Money's on the left side. This is a mezuzah This is Hinuch. For this, she screams at the prophet. She doesn't care about anything else. But what are we going to do with these kids that are not going to get to an education? The prophet comes along and says to her, what do you want me to do for you? What do you have in the house? Is that a fair question to ask a poor woman? You know she has nothing. What is she going to say? For a coat? What do you think she's going to answer? She has nothing in the house. What do you have in the house? It's like you're taunting her. The way I'm understanding this pasuk is, you know what he was asking? What zechut do you have? What do you have in the house? What zechut? You're asking now for your children to be saved. You need a zikhut for that. You know what the Gemara says? The Gemara says there's a certain surefire sigula that if one is careful, his children will be tzaddiki. What does the Gemara say? The Gemara says whoever wears a red string around their wrist. <laughs> no, I'm just sorry. That, 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 that never helped anybody. Except the one that sold it. <laughs> it was a sigula for him. The Gemara Shabbat says, A zahir baneh, a ragil baneh, a biyande banim tamidehayam. A ragil baneh. One that's careful in mining the nerot. Like you see the ladies, God bless them, Ayyam Shabbat. They light the nerot. Then you see them praying. And I always wondered when I saw my mother and my grandmother praying by the middle. I always thought they were praying that they don't go out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they're praying so much. What can they be praying by the candles? I would see my mother take a chair and sit. She would have a siddhaka box next to the candle. She still does. Put some siddhaka. Oh, she weeps and cries. And what are they praying? So much for this moment. Then I got older, 
They said, no, this is a very opportune moment to pray for your children for their religious success. They should come to me to Achamim and whatever it may be. And I asked the rabbi why, and he said, because it says in Pasukinen Mitzvah V'Turah Or. Torah is represented by the light. So therefore, those ladies that are careful, and even the husbands that prepare the candles for their wives, and that's why you have some ladies that they're careful to use olive oil, because the Gemara says that's the highest level to use olive oil. So the Prophet asked Eshef uh, Ovadiah, what's Zechutiyah? He asked me to save your children from secular education. What's Zechutiyah? So she goes now, she says, this, is it. this little jug of oil, Do you know what this is here? Me and my husband sold everything we have. And we bought oil so the rabbis in the cave could study Torah by the light. We sold everything we have so they could study Torah. And here's the proof. Here's what we have left. And Isha said, because you are in the Hazair Your children are not going to receive a Yehoram loan shock education. This oil is going to save your life. Bring all the empty vessels. Sure enough, they start filling the vessels, and she says, the rabbi says, go sell it at the high price, pay the loan shark, and then he says, they will live. Because those that don't live by Torah, they have no life. That's a life that's not alive. Now that I've saved them from Yehoram, go raise them as Jews. They will live. True Hayim. Hayim shal Torah, Hayim shal Barachah. And when the congregants left the Haftarah, they said, what a woman this is. And no doubt they had a deja vu of Sarah. It's the same story, just different characters. Sarah is screaming at uh, Abraham, and Eshet Obadiah is screaming at Elisha. But what are they screaming? What's going to be with the children? They don't give it an inch. They don't care about money. They don't care about all the other stuff. All that stuff is temporary. It's ephemeral that comes and goes. That's left side of it. What's going to be with the child? And both stories say how God intervened. God intervened in Sarah's case and told Abraham she's right here. And God intervened in this case by making an unbelievable miracle of the oil not ending. Just in order to save these two boys from receiving Hasna Shalom, a foreign, uh, alien uh, education. And that's something to walk away with and say, and that's a theme that you have to remember. And now I understand why the rabbis didn't want to do away with that. Because they said, why not hear it twice? Why not double down? Why not hear it in the Parashah and then confirm it in Haftara? These are great lessons. It's not what want. They want to, want to punch. So you walk away, wow, it's a important item. And you're supposed to walk away saying, okay, what am I doing for the education of my children? Is there a lapse in my education? Is there a seyahadat? Do I have other priorities? Am I delinquent? Am I going to come to hate my child one day? That's the question you have to ask. And then you have to ask yourself, major question. 
Am I missing something? I'm looking at my child, but maybe do I see everything that I'm supposed to? If Abraham missed it, it's possible that we're missing it. So then we must scrutinize our judgment constantly to make sure that we're seeing what we're seeing, that it's amen. That our paternal or maternal love doesn't blind us. I will conclude. The Lord says very heavy. I'll conclude. Some rabbis begin with light comments. I did not begin with light comments tonight. But I will end with a light comment. Just so you can, can breathe for a minute. There was a great rabbi called Nabhidah. Rabbeinu Chaim Yosef David Azulai. The great rabbis. The great Sephardi rabbis. He lived about 500 years ago. He, made, he wrote over 80 Sephardi. So somebody came to him once, a rabbi, so-called rabbi, for a letter of approval because he was about to go collect in the next community. So the Hida talked to the guy a little and he realized, besides his hat and his beard and his stomach, he's really not a rabbi. He has no qualifications to be a rabbi, this guy. He's just, he has a costume of a rabbi, but he's not a rabbi. But he doesn't want to embarrass him to tell him, I can't give you an approval. So he writes a long approval, and in the, uh, in the letter somewhere, he writes a very, very flowery compliment. And he puts it in italics and writes the big letters. And he says, go to the next town and show the rabbi this letter, and he'll understand it. And he goes to the next town, and he says, Rabbi, I'd like to collect. Well, do you have an approval? Ah, oh, wait a few days. He takes a Baidah's letter. I opens it up, the rabbi sees the Hidah sign. You got an approval from the Hidah? Okay, well, let me read it. So right away, his eyes focus on these big letters that the rabbi wrote. And it says over there that whoever is reading this letter, you must know that the man standing in front of you, I testify that if he would be living in the times of Elisha, the oil would never have stopped. Strange compliment. Nobody ever made this compliment before. So he read it over again. If he lived in the times of Elisha, the oil would never stop. And then he realized what the Hida was saying. That he's the emptiest vessel in the world. <laughs> that he's a cleaver, his brain is so hollow that the oil would still be going. But he said it in a way where the guy can't get offended. Oh, here's what the rabbi wrote about you. He said if you were the times of Elisha, the oil wouldn't stop. Oh, you see, you see what he said? Meanwhile, he's calling him an imbecile by that. So the rabbi said, good, he gave him a few dollars. He says, uh, you can collect. He knew that he wasn't uh, somebody to, to give all the money to. But of course, that's the lesson for us is time. As parents and as grandparents and as future parents, to recommit ourselves, especially In other generations, we used to get help. That's the question of the Why? You see, 
have four cups under the chair. Four cups. And I said, what's going to be with the cushion? They don't have we're not getting any help. The street is against us. It used to be in the olden days. Even the street was uh, was okay. The outside world was tolerable. Today, it's the enemy. Today, even in the Jewish home, we have to be on God that the enemy doesn't enter. So if Hinuch Yiladim was a priority in the older generations, in my opinion, we have, we have to pretend this was so bad. The whole right column of the door has to be lined with Mizuzot, so we don't forget our obligation. And even with all that, we have to pray to the Bore Olam, and we have to light candles, and we have to cry that our children will come out. Today, when people ask me for berachot for their children, I say, Bezat Hashem, you should have decent children. And the parents get offended. Decent children. Decent. Who asks for decent? I'm not a tzaddikim, an azidi. I said, where are you living? I said, today, the biggest berachah is if your children are decent, that's tzaddikim. That's what it means today. Decent means tzaddikim. If you have a child that doesn't have his head in the garbage, doesn't have his head in the, in the shriyot of Olam, he's a decent child that's following the, the simple rules of life, today he's a sadiq. Therefore, the rabbis wanted to remind us, Salah saved Klal Yisrael against Abraham's better judgment. And Eshet Obadiah had nothing else to scream to the prophet about Except two things. Lo That a Jewish mother cannot tolerate. That a children will be taken to a foreign education. And I pray that the chizuk that we received here tonight should give us a little more motivation to become parents, not by proxy. The first commandment was not by proxy. That Hashem said himself. And then the result will be a child, not that we hate, a child that we love. We have fulfilled on us the Pasuk. Thanks for listening to jpulse.org. You can find this and other great talks on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching jpulse.